Chapter 28, Montgomery Ward So, why didn't you tell me it was him all this time? After all the private rehearsing that Megan had gone through the previous night and the emotional ramping up that had distracted her throughout her other classes, Anthony simply came into class, sat down in the empty desk in front of her, and asked her the same question she had been asking herself for the past 48 hours. She sat, suspended in an uncomfortable hesitation, trying to think of what to say. Anthony, I didn't know, she replied, her tone pleading for forgiveness, but realizing halfway through the sentence that it was a half-truth. Not until a week or so ago, at least. But you live with him, right? Is he related to your stepdad or something? No, he's not, Megan replied, wanting desperately to explain. I know it's weird. Really, I do. But you just don't want to tell me yet? Megan felt crushed. Anthony seemed so frustrated with her, and he had every right to be. I do, just not here, she said, motioning to the busy classroom around them. It's just not, it's okay, I get it, Anthony responded, looking down. I shouldn't be mad. He's kept us alive. I just, I guess deep down I always thought it would be someone I knew, not some complete stranger. I mean, do you know about the money? Do you know why? He looked up at Megan, wondering if it was an acceptable question. Megan didn't respond. She couldn't find the words. She gave him as sympathetic and apologetic look as she could. I, Anthony, I, she wanted to find a time, a place where they could be alone, where she could tell him everything he deserved to know, no matter how unbelievable it was. He'll write me off as a lunatic, she thought, but at least the truth would be out. Maybe we can she began, but she couldn't think of a way to propose it that didn't sound like she was asking him out on a date, something she'd have loved to do were the situation not so far beyond normal. Giving up, she sighed and looked down at the desk. Well, my mom found Margaret, he finally reported in a resigned voice, producing a folded sheet of paper from his coat pocket. She got a hold of her yesterday through a mutual friend. Here's the number. She said she didn't feel comfortable asking for her address, though, but it sounds like she's in Santa Fe, working at the DeVargas Mall. Megan was stunned, speechless. She took the paper and unfolded it, looking at the number. Oh, wow, she responded, dazed. She felt miserable. Her complete lack of cooperation was being parried by an act of complete selflessness. A lump grew in her stomach as she searched for some way to show her appreciation. But at the moment she was going to try to express the uninformed thought, Mr. Connor walked over to the stool next to the overhead projector and started the class. Hearing the teacher's voice, Anthony got up. I'll talk to you later, he muttered, as he quickly returned to his desk. The seat's usual occupant, a girl who had been talking with Leah, sat down in his place. Megan's mind was a million miles from the classroom as the force of Anthony's news finally reached her halfway through the period. She could call her, but what would she say? Santa Fe was 45 minutes away. Megan could go find her, but whose life would she be risking by doing so? Did you finish? Vicky asked as Megan came out from Phil's room toward the nurse's station. Yeah, Megan replied. She had been fighting the recollection of the events of the day and focusing on the mundanity of her schoolwork, even in the stillness of Phil's bedside, had been a battle. Did Susan come last night? Megan asked, leaning against the back of the work area. Yeah, she did, Vicky responded, not looking up from her paperwork. 
She sat with him for quite a while. Did you talk to her at all? Vicky shook her head. I don't know what I'd say to her. Did she ask you anything? Just wondered about his progress. I don't think she feels comfortable asking about anything further than that, and that's fine by me. Are you even allowed to tell her stuff, like his medical information? Vicky looked up and furtively glanced around to ensure that they were alone. She's his wife, she said with a shrug, even if she doesn't realize it. I've decided that she has a right to know. Megan was surprised, even a little irritated, for Vicky, who was always so careful about spreading rumors or sharing gossip. This seemed like sacrilege. Really? So you just told her? I think Phil would want her to know, don't you? Well, yeah, but... Megan felt slightly relieved that she wasn't the only one bending the unspoken rules. Did you tell her about the bridge? Oh, no, Vicky laughed politely, looking back down at her paperwork. That's up to Phil. I'm not touching that. Megan smiled to herself and walked a short distance to a water cooler. She was filling up a paper cup as another nurse came in through the doors that joined the department to the main hallway outside. Sorry I'm late, Vic, she announced as she strode by behind Megan. Oh, it's okay, Jan, Vicky responded, her voice muffled somewhat by the back of the desk. I was just finishing these... Jan, what happened? Vicky's tone changed to one of surprise as she looked up toward the nurse walking by. Megan spun around to see. The nurse who had just arrived was dressed in a black coat and a pink scarf, had her brown hair teased in a pretty Molly Ringwald style, and was trying to subtly hide a large and obvious black eye. Oh, does it look bad? She responded with a chuckle that almost seemed forced. I tripped on the stairs on my way out and hit the banister. I'm okay, though. Vicky looked concerned, but didn't respond right away, simply staring at the bruise. Yeah, Janet looks awful. Let's get you some ice. She got up and walked into the supply room. As the injured nurse followed her, Megan remembered where she had seen her before. It was the nurse who had come into the emergency room on the night of Phil's heart attack, with the man who had captured Vicky's close attention. Megan went back to Phil's room to collect her things. Her homework finished, she had no real reason to stay. Part of her had hoped that Anthony would come, that they would finally have time to talk, but then she felt a growing sense of dread at the conversation they would have, or at least his reaction to it. She turned to look at Phil. It was as if his position had not changed since she first saw him lying there, though Vicky had told her that people had come in earlier to exercise his limbs, to bathe him, change his sheets. The machines continued to beat time in conflict with the quiet crooning of Johnny Mathis over the radio. Megan realized that her feeling of apprehension, that he might suddenly awake or some rapid, noisy beeping would announce some cascading failure, was being replaced by a feeling of calm, that he was in a place of rest, one that his body was in no hurry to leave. Morbid as it was, she almost envied him. She put on her coat, hoisted her backpack over her shoulder, and went back out into the hallway. Vicky was standing behind the nurse's station, having a hushed conversation with another nurse. Jan, the nurse with the black eye, was nowhere to be seen. Seeing Megan come out of the room, Vicky left the other nurse with a quietly urgent thank you and moved quickly around the counter to where Megan was standing. Megan, would you tell Rom and Howard that I needed to go to Santa Fe? I should be back tonight, but tell them not to wait up for me. Megan's heart skipped a beat. Santa Fe, to Vargas Mall. Can I come? Vicky seemed taken aback by the question. Oh, Megan, I... She shook her head. I'm not going to... I just need to go to the mall. Can you drop me off and pick me up when you're done? Please? Megan, 
I just don't think it'll work out tonight. What are you going down there for? Vicky looked a little uncomfortable. I just need to run some errands. What errands? Megan could tell she was being put off, and she decided she wasn't going to let up. She looked around at the nurse's station, where the nurse Vicky had been talking to was collecting folders from the place where Vicky had been sitting. Megan lowered her voice a little. Are you leaving work early? Vicky seemed to have sensed Megan's determination and looked around. All right, fine. You can get a ride with me. I don't know exactly what time I'll be picking you up, though. Okay, Megan answered, flushed with anticipation. Thank you so much. Vicky was strangely quiet for almost the entire drive. As they were taking Trinity Drive out of town, she asked Megan shallow questions about school and friends, but seemed to almost deliberately be avoiding the topic of Anthony. By the time they reached Main Hill Drive, the road that wound down the side of the mesa into the valley below, she descended into a thick, unnatural silence. Megan was unnerved also by the speed at which she took the blind turns. She hovered just under the point of being reckless, at a speed which Megan had experienced many times with someone else, Charlie or a friend from school was at the wheel, but which was completely uncharacteristic for Vicky. Megan let out an audible sigh of relief when they reached the turnoff to White Rock and they left the sheer cliffs behind them, though Vicky did not show any sign of slowing down. By the time they reached the trestle bridge over the Rio Grande, it seemed apparent to Megan that Vicky had not just been too distracted to talk, but actually seemed consciously against doing so. So Megan reached over and turned on the radio as a distraction for the rest of the 45-minute trip. I'll meet you here at 9 o'clock, Vicky told Megan, as she pulled up to the outdoor entrance of J.C. Penny. It looks like that's when they close. If I'm late for some reason, just wait by this door, okay? Yeah, okay, Megan answered, gazing in through the glass doors into the department store, searching for the face that matched the sketch. Megan's mind reeled as she suddenly realized how many different stores there were at the mall, and what the odds were that Margaret would even be working tonight. Am I even going to recognize her? She thought as she unbuckled her seatbelt and opened the car door. All I have to go on is a birthmark. Nine o'clock, Vicky said, calling after Megan as she reached to close the door. Right, Megan said, coming back to the conversation. Right here by the doors. Thanks, Vicky. She looked at her watch. It was 6.15. She had less than three hours until the mall closed. Okay, J.C. Penny first, she thought, and walked in. Her plan had been to go to each of the big anchor stores first, figuring they had a larger workforce and therefore a higher chance of having Margaret on staff. But by the time she had gone through J.C. Penney and Mervyn's, she was about to give up and began checking through the smaller shops. It was after 8 o'clock, and she was also keenly aware of how hungry she was, but she continued on, determined to find Margaret first. She caught herself looking through some sweaters at Montgomery Ward and had very nearly forgotten her mission, when she looked down the aisle and saw an employee she hadn't yet seen in her surveillance. Megan was about to walk away when the woman turned toward her, and Megan was struck with a cold jolt of recognition. While the proportions of her face were a little different than the sketch in Howard's notebook, she had fuller cheeks, slightly lower eyes. The birthmark was unmistakable, a small darkish splotch on the left side of her jaw, more pronounced than in the sketch. It was no wonder that Anthony had recognized her because of it. Her coffee-brown hair was cut just below her shoulders, and the faint age lines that emanated from her eyes showed that it had likely been a few decades since the picture in the notebook had been made. She was going through a display of jeans, adjusting the piles and refolding the occasional pair, with a speed and apparent motivation that belied the look of resigned boredom in her eyes. She glanced over at Megan, who looked down quickly at the shirt in her hands, to avoid being caught staring. The flash of green in her pupils caught Megan's eye, though, and she was struck by the familiarity. They were Howard's eyes 
There was no mistaking it. But there was something else there, too. Some other aspect of her face that was familiar, but which she couldn't quite place. The woman, Margaret, Megan thought, putting the name to the face, refolded another pair of jeans, laid them on a pile carefully but quickly, and paused, looking over the entire display. Megan could tell she was making a few final adjustments to the placements of the pile and realized it was now her last chance to act. Uh, do you have any of these in medium? she asked, grasping quickly at a reason to talk to her, and then realizing after the fact that the one in her hands was in fact a medium. She held it slightly closer to her chest in an effort to obscure the tag. Megan looked over with a pleasant smile that looked almost forced. Everything we have should be there on the rack, she said, staying where she was. You can order one through the catalog, though. Oh, uh, that's okay, Megan answered quickly, realizing her bluff had been unintentionally called. Margaret turned as though she were about to leave, and Megan started to panic. Hey, are you from Los Alamos? she asked, falling over her words to keep Margaret from walking away. Margaret turned back, and her well-rehearsed smile was replaced by a look of suspicion. She didn't say anything at first, apparently sizing Megan up. I grew up there. Why? she asked slowly. Oh, uh, Megan responded, completely baffled about what to say next. My uh, boyfriend's mom is Susan Clark. The word boyfriend felt bitter on her tongue from the knowledge that she had no right to use it. Margaret's voice warmed up a little with the obvious recognition, and a trace of smile appeared. Oh, it was nice to hear from her yesterday. Is your boyfriend Anthony? Yeah, Megan answered, smiling but feeling queasy at the lie she was unintentionally constructing. Margaret had been adjusting a stack of turtlenecks on the shelf beside her. He was a cute kid. Does he remember me? Yeah, he was telling me about how he'd come into the grocery store you guys worked at. Margaret chuckled to herself, but didn't respond with anything more than a mumbled, mm-hmm. Megan continued, so, uh, do your parents still live in Los Alamos? Margaret's expression immediately cooled. No, she answered tersely. Megan felt her face go red. Her mind scrambled to get back on track. As she was searching for another way to continue the conversation, though, Margaret replaced the stack of turtlenecks. Well, she remarked in her earlier tone of cold indifference, have a nice night. Megan felt panic rising up in her throat as Margaret turned and once again began walking away. She frantically searched her thoughts for some way to get her to stay. Do you know Howard Fenton? Margaret stopped without turning around, and it was as if everything in the store was suspended in silence. Finally, Margaret turned around with a look of fury on her face. So that's what this is. Who sent you? Phil, was it? A look of fresh recognition crossed her face, followed by one of disappointment. Is Susan in on this, too? Her mouth hung open for a moment in disbelief, and then she resumed her expression of anger and walked toward Megan. I'll tell you what I told Phil when he came harassing me about this. I am not one of the people you are looking for, so leave me alone or I'll call the cops. Her gaze pierced Megan's eyes for a moment, and she could see and feel Margaret's anger as she recoiled in embarrassment. In that moment, however, Megan thought she saw something more than fury there. There was a sadness a yearning, a regret, a pleading. But the moment Megan saw it, or imagined it, Margaret turned around and walked away. Megan had left Montgomery Wards as quickly as she could after that, her abysmal hunger now compounded with a nausea from the dressing down she had just endured. It was nearly nine o'clock, and so she bought a milkshake and made her way back through J.C. Penney to the door where Vicky had dropped her off. She scanned the parking lot outside the door, and there was no sign of Vicky's gray Celica. 
relieved that she hadn't kept Vicky waiting, but now wishing she had taken time to get something more substantial to eat, she finished her drink while sitting on the sidewalk with her back up against the building. Soon she heard an employee locking the doors, and the parking lot began to thin as shoppers appeared from different directions, returned to their cars, and drove off, leaving behind a little more silence each time. Megan waited, becoming more and more worried that she had been forgotten, until soon only a handful of cars remained, parked on the opposite end of the lot. Finally, after listening to the sounds of cars approaching but never pulling into the mall parking lot for 10, then 20, then 30 minutes, Vicky's car pulled into the lot and quickly drove up to the entrance. Sorry I'm late, Vicky said as Megan got in. Megan expected an explanation of her tardiness, maybe even a clue to what she had been doing, but she didn't say anything else. On the contrary, she seemed just as quietly focused as she had on the way down, although now she looked a little more frazzled. Did you buy anything? Vicky asked as they drove up the hill past the veteran cemetery on the north end of town. Oh, no. Well, I got a shake. Were you meeting friends? No. Vicky seemed a little confused and curious, and Megan wondered if she pressed any further. I'll tell you if you tell me, Megan thought. So I'm going to take you back and pick up a few things, and then I need to come back down for the night. Vicky said later, as the city lights were disappearing over the hills behind them. Megan was taken aback. What for? It's something personal. Nothing you need to worry about. I'll be fine. The last sentence caught Megan's attention in particular, as if her need to say it was evidence that she wouldn't, in fact, be fine. Vicky, what's going on? Really, it's nothing, she replied with a tone that sounded simultaneously reassuring and cautionary. I'll probably be back later tomorrow. Probably? Megan asked, incredulously. Vicky turned to her with a stern look on her face. Megan, it's nothing that concerns you. You know it might be best if you don't try to interfere with other people's personal lives. Megan felt like she had been kicked in the stomach. Her only response was a speechless stare before Vicky turned her eyes back to the road. Megan turned in her seat to look out the passenger window at the passing reflectors lining the road and spent the remainder of the uncomfortable ride eagerly waiting for it to be done. They got back to Howard's, and Megan got out and ran inside without looking back at Vicky. She saw Rom on the sofa in the living room, but ignored him, and immediately climbed the stairs to her room. She waited for Vicky to come into the house before closing her bedroom door, loud enough for Vicky to hear. Immediately after, however, she silently opened it again and sat down, listening for the ensuing conversation downstairs. Vicky, where have you been? I called the hospital and they said you took off early today. Oh, I had to run down to Santa Fe for something. A pause. Really? Yeah, but uh, I just need to grab some things and head back down, though. Another pause. Vicky, what's going on? He asked in a worried and deeply suspicious voice. Megan heard Vicky coming up the stairs and quietly closed the door, holding the doorknob and letting it latch slowly. It's nothing, Rom. Don't worry. Rom's voice got near as he followed her up the stairway. Vicky? Really, Rom, it's nothing you need to worry about. Vicky passed, and Megan could hear her going into her room at the end of the hall, Rom following behind. Vicky, you need to tell me what this is about. His voice was insistent and forceful. Rom, I just need to get some things taken care of down there. I'll tell you about it later. Vicky spoke in hushed tones, doubtlessly aware of Megan's proximity. It's about Sean, isn't it? Rom asked, deliberately louder. Rom, I, I don't want to talk about it. Vicky, I am not letting you go back to him. I'm not arguing about this right now, Rom. Mind your own business anyway. 
They had both moved into Vicky's room, and Megan strained to listen into the conversation. Either they were both being quiet enough that Megan couldn't listen in, or they weren't saying anything. But Megan could hear Vicky moving around in her room, pulling things from under her bed, from out of her closet. At one point, she thought she heard the telltale spring of luggage latches being opened simultaneously. Megan, who had opened the door just to crack again, glimpsed Vicky coming back out of the room carrying a small suitcase and quickly closed her door. She heard Rom following her, urging her back. He hasn't changed, don't you see? It's going to end up just like the last time. It's not. What about the nurse? Jan, I, I thought they were together. He was. She... Vicky stammered, and Megan could hear the emotion brewing behind her words. They're not together anymore, Rom. She left him. He's vulnerable, and he needs someone. Rom paused for a moment, and his voice dropped in volume but increased in intensity. He hit her, didn't he? Vicky let out what sounded like a stifled sob. He hit her. Vicky, don't you see what's going on? Rom, stop. It's not like that. Vicky was struggling to keep enough composure to keep her voice down, but was failing. Megan thought she heard movement from Charlie's room next door. It is. Vicky, you... And his voice dropped off, and there was what sounded like struggling between them just outside the door. Something, an elbow or a foot, bumped into Megan's door, causing her to step back suddenly, but she leaned in again, keeping a careful distance to continue listening. After a few seconds, she heard the jingling of keys join the rest of the fracas. Rom, no, please, Vicky exclaimed, as the scuffling lessened, but continued. No. Rom, give them back. And suddenly, the door opened from the outside. Megan threw herself backward in an attempt to distance herself from her surveillance. Rom had his back to her. It was he who had opened the door. He swiveled around and lobbed Vicky's keychain toward Megan, so it hit her thigh and dropped to the floor. She stared at the keys for a fraction of a second and looked back up to Rom, who was blocking the door from a disheveled and shocked-looking Vicky, her suitcase on the floor beside her. She looked back down at the keychain, three or four keys and a large white plastic fob shaped like the number one, and picked it up. Megan, Vicky asked, unsuccessfully trying to mask her tears, please give me back my keys. Megan froze, trembling. She looked at Rom, who stared back at her with a strength in his eyes that she had never seen, or at least never noticed. No. Megan, Vicky responded, her voice now colored with a hint of anger, give me my keys. Megan held the keys a little tighter in her fist, afraid of what would happen next. No. Vicky stared back at her with a fire burning through her teary eyes. She started, almost imperceptibly, to move forward toward Megan, and Megan held the keys closer to her chest, bracing herself. But before Vicky moved more than a few inches, Rom put out his arm, barring her entrance into the room. She looked back at Rom with a mixture of pain and raw fury, and held his gaze for several excruciating seconds, and then turned back and ran back to her room, slamming the door behind her. Rom dropped his head for a moment as Megan stood, rooted to her spot, still clutching the keys. He then turned and walked toward her. Trembling, she placed the keys in his outstretched hand. He looked at her with an expression of gratitude, exhaustion, and heartache. Thank you, he said, almost at the edge of hearing, as he turned to walk out of the room, carefully closing the door behind him.